Anybody watch the Super Bowl last week? Anybody watch the Super Bowl? I, as a 49ers fan, am trying to forget it. Um, but if you watch the Super Bowl, even if you are not a fan, many people who are not fans of football watch the Super Bowl. And why do you watch the Super Bowl? Like, if you are not a fan of football at all, why do you watch the Super Bowl? For the commercials. That's right. You watch for the commercials. You know, there was one commercial this year that's gotten a lot of chatter. Uh, it um, was the He Gets Us program, right? The He Gets Us campaign. Uh, and it flashed on, and there were scenes of different people, various people, washing one another's feet. And then at the very end, this 30-second commercial, it said, Jesus didn't teach hate. Jesus washed feet. Jesus didn't teach hate. Jesus washed feet. Um, in actuality, Jesus only washed feet that we know on one occasion. It's actually the passage that was just read. It's a very, very famous passage. It's Passover time, verse 1 tells us. And Jesus knows, he knows that he's about to die. He's gathered with his disciples. They've rented out a room, and he's there in this room. It's a very intimate setting. The rest of the gospel, most of it, is, is set there in this room. Uh, we know from the other gospels that the disciples at this point are kind of like bickering and chattering, and at some point... Jesus gets up. Verses 4 through and 5 tell us that he got up and he goes over. He disrobes himself. He lays down his garment, the text says. He takes up a basin and a pitcher of water. He takes a towel and he wraps it around his waist. Then he goes around to each one of the disciples and he starts washing their feet. He takes the towel and he dries the feet. Everyone's kind of speechless, a little shocked, astonished, until he gets to Peter, who's never speechless. And Peter says, Lord, verse 6, would you wash my feet? And Peter doesn't understand. We know Peter doesn't understand because verse 7, look at it, Jesus says, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm doing. And then Peter says, never. You will never wash my feet, verse 8. He recoils. Why does Peter recoil? What is Peter's problem? Might it be our problem? That's the question I want us to consider this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord, if we're honest, your love is a difficult thing. We can't receive it on our own. So we ask that you would help us receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as many of you know, we are doing a building expansion, and one of the most exciting parts of this building expansion, the whole thing for me, actually, there are lots of exciting parts. I shouldn't set it up like that. Exciting parts have been seeing what God has done. The exciting part about, like, actually doing the details of the work and all that is that one time, uh, Jordan and I got to go into the architect's um, offices, and we got to put on these goggles, 
And we got to put on goggles, and we got to walk around the building. It was amazing. Because then we were actually able to tell, like, how big is this thing? And it's funny, like, you click, the way that you move around when you're in the building is not by walking, but you click this um, remote control, and it kind of goes. One time I clicked one, one too many times up, and I was 100 feet in the air. I, like, lost my stomach, right? I was like, get me down, someone. I'm, like, grabbing things, right? It was very scary. But... It was also very illuminating, because I don't know about you, but when people are telling me, well, that room's going to be this many square feet, it's 20 by 30, I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, how does it compare to the room I'm in right now? Like, do you have a picture? Can you show me? Can you give me an illustration? Can you? And, and this was like a picture of the building. It was worth a thousand words. Well, here in John chapter 13, we get a picture. It's a picture of God's love, and it's worth a thousand words. You see, verse 1 starts out, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Earlier in John, we know that God so loved the world that he sent his son so Jesus' life is a manifestation of God's love. And here we see that Jesus, in manifesting God's love, he loved his own and he loved them to his end. But to give them a picture of what that love looks like, he gets up from the table, he disrobes, puts a towel around his waist, he grabs a basin, he puts water in a pitcher, and he goes around and he starts washing the disciples' feet. So what's Peter's problem? What's Peter find so difficult? Accepting God's love. Peter has a hard time receiving God's love. Now I think most of us, when we hear that, we think, why? I mean, for most people in this room, I would imagine, if you believe in God, the bedrock conviction that you have, if God is anything, he is loving. Not to be so sure if he's sovereign. You not, might not be so sure if he's just. But if God is anything, he's loving. That's a bedrock conviction that most people have. I mean, we know, we believe God is love. And so we say, why would anyone have a hard time receiving the love of God? So here's the question. How come Peter acts react so much differently to the love of God than we do when we hear God loves you, receive his love. You know what I think it is? For Peter, at this moment, in this time, God's love isn't an idea. See, for most of us, you know, love, 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 all you need is love, the Beatles say. What does that even mean? That's just an idea. You know, when God loves an idea, it's pretty easy to accept. I can accept a nebulous idea. I can receive a nebulous idea. I can receive that anytime, any day. That is easy. Sure, God, keep on loving me. But what happens when love takes off love's clothes? What happens when love picks up a basin? What happens when love is kneeling before you? 
and grabbing at your feet. Because he is kneeling before you right now, bidding you to let him wash your feet. What about now? How easy is it to receive God's love? No, really, picture it. Right here, right now, with everyone else around. Jesus, right before you, kneeling down with a basin of water, untying your shoes, taking off your sock, rolling up your pant leg, washing your feet. Peter and the disciples, they are shocked at God's love. They don't understand God's love. Have you ever been shocked by God's love? Have you ever been confused by God's love? Because if not, then I have a suggestion for you, a humble suggestion. Maybe that's because God's love for you is just an idea. It's never been experienced as a concrete reality. What is so shocking, so confusing about God's love as is represented here in Jesus Christ? Well, first thing I think is that God's, the love that God shows in Jesus is shockingly selfless. You know, there are many um, churches I've actually never been at one of these. There are many churches that have foot-washing ceremonies. They'll often do it on Monday, Thursday. Some people do it regularly. They do these foot-washing ceremonies, and I have to confess, I've never been super into that. There are several reasons for that. We'll get into those later in the sermon. But one of the reasons I've never been into it is because I feel like um, churches having foot-washing ceremonies is kind of like, well... It's kind of like decently clean people going to get cleaned. It's like going to the dentist. You know what happens when you go to the dentist, don't you? What happens when you go to the dentist? You're like, oh, I got to go to the dentist. I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. You just go, right? You go with morning breath. You go with you just having a bunch of food just in your eating. No, you don't. Stop shaking your head. You you do not go like that, Jason. (laughs) You know how you go? You brush your teeth. Because somebody's going to be up in your grill, right? I mean, I, I've lost extra. I, I brush extra long, right? And I think that's the way most kind of modern foot washing ceremonies are in the West. You know, if you were going to go to a foot washing ceremony, you wouldn't say like, oh, let me go work out beforehand. And then I'm going to show up at the foot washing ceremony. No, you know, no. You pampered yourself. You went and you got a pedicure. You like wash those feet, and then you came in. And a lot of times, I think that that's kind of how we approach foot washing. We, it's kind of like, maybe get, the difference is, let me give you an illustration. So, you know, we love sweet baby feet, don't we? We kiss sweet baby feet. When he was a, about a year and a half, year, we went to visit my parents. We went in and my dad loved needs little sweet baby feet. And so we show up, and he starts kissing her feet. And then I remember the face that my dad had. And he goes, 
these don't taste like sweet baby feet. I'm like, no, that's because she just learned to walk two months ago, and she's been running around the airport for like six hours. They taste like the airport, right? I think most of us, we view a foot washing ceremony in the ancient world like my dad thought that Neve's feet were, but they are not like that. Human feet in the ancient world were not like that. No concrete. They aren't bathing daily. This is a semi-arid climate. They're walking around with sandals on their feet through anything and everything. The grind, the muck, the dirt. And so when you would enter a home, there would be a basin and a pitcher of water there, like there was here. For your feet to be washed. But why did the disciples just walk on past that basin and pitcher of water? Because the only people who washed feet were slaves. And there wasn't a slave there. It was too demeaning of a task for you to do to yourself. And no, I'm sorry, correction. Not any slave. See, Jews had Jewish slaves. You could have that indentured servants, Jews wouldn't let a Jewish slave wash their feet. It was too demeaning of a task. It had to be a Gentile slave. So you can imagine the shock when Jesus gets up and goes and disrobes and takes on a slave's attire and starts washing feet. I mean, in the most extraordinary of circumstances, maybe a disciple would wash a rabbi's feet to show ultimate loyalty. They might do it once as a symbolic gesture. But a rabbi washing disciples' feet? This is why Peter says in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? The self-abasing nature of this act is incredible. And think about when Jesus is doing this. When he knew, verse 1, that his hour had come to depart and be with the Father. Another way of putting when he knew that he was about to die. Jesus knows that he's about to go to the cross. And the the most painful event, and not just physically painful, the most painful event in all of human history, Jesus is about to have to overgo undergo. And what's he thinking about? How to love his disciples. You know, sometimes I think it's hard to receive love when love is just too much. It's like when when something makes sense, it's okay, but when it's over the top like this, it's a bit difficult. It's a bit too much. Because love in Jesus, uh, the love God shows in Jesus is, is not just shockingly selfish, selfless, it's also shockingly undeserved. Notice verse 5 says that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It doesn't say he washed 10 of the disciples' feet, or 9 of the disciples' feet, or 8 of the disciples' feet. It says that he washed all of the disciples' feet. And do you know who was there? Look verse 2. Judas, 
who at that moment was already plotting to kill Jesus. And Jesus, we know, knew it. That's what verse 18 following says. We'll get to this in future weeks. But Jesus already knows that Judas is plotting with the authorities to betray him, to hand him over to a kangaroo cord, and then to kill him. He knows that one of his disciples is going to put him to death. And what does he do? He, get, he dresses like a slave. He demeans himself, and then he washes his feet. But it's not just Judas who is undeserving of this act. I mean, Peter's about to betray him, or deny him, rather. And all of the disciples, with their nice, cleanly washed feet, are going to run away from him. Every single one. You know, I don't have a hard time receiving love. I really don't have a hard time receiving love. When I can show the rationale between the love that's given and my worth in accepting it. It's why, you know, most of us, I would imagine that when you get a Valentine's Day card from your spouse or your kid or Father's Day card or Mother's Day card, I would imagine you don't have a hard time accepting it. You know why? Because when your child writes in there, you are such a great mom, I, you are such a great dad, you always make me laugh, you can think of the ways in which you make them laugh. You faithfully fix my lunches and take me to school. You can think of all the times when you fix their lunches and you've taken them to school. Everything that they put on that card, you can link to something in your life that you do and you think, yes, okay. I can receive this love because I can make sense of this love because I can see something in my life that actually is deserving of this love. But what happens when you blow off a friend? You stop calling. You forget their birthday. No, you don't just forget their birthday. Because Facebook and your calendar reminded you, but you couldn't be bothered to send them a text or even write HBD on their timeline. And then, they throw a surprise party for you. They gather all your friends. They get you this extremely thoughtful gift that was costly and time-consuming. They invite everyone there, and you knew once you got there that this took months to plan. That's probably not as easy to receive, is it? That's not as easy to receive with the val as the Valentine's Day card. Why? C.S. Lewis says, this is the sort of love we need, but it's not the love we want. We want to be loved for our own cleverness, our own beauty, our own generosity, our own usefulness. How difficult it is to receive and to go on receiving this kind of love. And then he gives this illustration. He says, an extreme example, let's say that a man becomes 
completely uh, disabled where he cannot care for himself in any way, shape, or form, and his wife has to do everything for him, bathe him, clothe him, feed him, turn on the lights, turn off the lights, read to him everything over and over. He says, well, that kind of charity is not easy to receive. You see, I can receive love, you know, when someone says, like, here, I'm going to do this for you. Yeah, I can do that. But what happens, what happens when you realize you can't return the favor? You see, the reason why Peter has such a hard time, one of the reasons why, and the reason why we have a hard time receiving this kind of love is because it brings to the fore how undeserving we are. That which we do not like to admit. You all know people like this. Maybe you are like this. The person at your office, and they're willing to do everything and anything for anyone. Everything and anything except receive a gesture of kindness, receive service. Or when you do something for them, they're always going, oh, well, let me get it next time. Well, I'll do this. You know, if, if you can't receive charity from others, it's worth asking, what makes us so sure we've received it from God? Peter has a difficult time receiving this love. Because the love God shows in Jesus is shockingly undeserved. But I think there's another reason, at least why I have a hard time receiving God's love. The third reason is that the love God shows in Jesus is shockingly intimate. I mean, think about what Jesus is doing here. He's washing feet. To clean someone is an intimate affair. Some of you have known this with parents and others. Or you've had to clean them because they could not clean themselves. Some of you maybe are entering into that phase. Some are worried about entering that phase. That's understandable because as an adult, having someone cleanse you is extremely vulnerable and intimate. What were Peter's feet like? I don't know. I don't really want to know. I know what my feet are like. And some of you, um, well, I, in England, a lot of people, a lot more people there than here have the tradition of making you take off your shoes when you go into their house. I know some of you have that tradition as well. And I get it. You don't want a, you don't want a dirty home. You're okay with a stinky home, but you don't want a dirty home. That's right. Some of you will get that later. Because I feel very uncomfortable going to your house because I have to unleash the beast. I got to take off my shoes in your house. And that's very embarrassing because I feel like what's in these shoes, I don't wear sandals. What's in these shoes is between me, myself, and I. It's an intimate experience. 
And so when I take it off, I'm thinking like, okay, what, like, what is going to happen here? Like, how are my feet going to be? You know, at least in Austria, they had, they had Birkenstocks for guests that you slip on. Solved everything. Just pro tip, gets me to use Birkenstocks for your guest. But when you have to take off your shoes, that is like a sense of in which, for me, it feels very vulnerable and intimate. Some of you, I know, you don't, you don't mind. But for me, that's the way it is. But whoever you are, like, actually, you can think of things on your body that would be very intimate if someone were to clean them and to handle them. Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm going to show you God's love, and that love is intimate. I'm going to get into the most intimate parts of your life. Parts that maybe you don't even want to look into. I've recently started a practice. It's called expressive writing. I just write in the morning and in the evening. Whatever emotions are going on and come in, And then at the end of that practice, I rip up the paper and I throw it away. The reason why I rip up the paper and throw it away is to actually help myself not guard against not saying the truth. See, because if I rip it up and throw it away, then that means I'm less likely to hide it from myself. What I've realized in this practice is that there's a lot of things in me that I have been hiding from myself. The anger, the fear, the anxieties. And this practice has been a way for me to say, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any hidden way in me. The things that I hide from myself, maybe from you. But God sees it all. God knows it all. And it's an opportunity for him to come because I, I want to be healed. I want to be whole. I want him to heal me. I want him to make me whole. But in order to do that, we've got to go to those places that I would rather not go. I'd rather not think about myself. In other words, there's got to be intimacy. And that's been hard. Hard because, you know, when you expose yourself, you wonder, am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be loved? Am I going to be able to accept myself after this? Accepting love like this, it's not easy. Love that's selfless and extravagant. Love that is undeserving. Love that is so intimate. So why would we accept it? We should accept it because the love God shows us in Jesus is absolutely necessary. Look at verse 8. After Peter says, Lord, never, you will never wash me. You will never wash my feet. Jesus answers him and says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. 
Now, it's important to know that this whole episode, Jesus is talking about a lot more than washing feet. We know that because in verse 7, back in verse 7, when Jesus says, Peter, you, you don't understand what I am doing to you, but he says, later you will understand. What does he mean by later? He means later after my hour has come, after my hour is complete, after my death and resurrection, after you know who I am and what I have done, then you will understand what I am doing. See, what did it mean for Jesus to love, and not just to love verse 1, but to love them to the end? It meant for him to love them all the way to the cross. For him to lay down not just his garment, but the same word as used in John 10 of him laying down his life. And the, word, and the, the, the allusion is Intentional. See, this tangible enactment of Jesus' love was only a symbol of the great enactment of Jesus' love. The love he would show Peter, not by kneeling at his feet, but by hanging on a cross. And his shed blood would provide cleansing, not from the dirt of the Jerusalem streets, but from the sin that stained his soul. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, if I don't wash you, if I don't wash you in that way, you have no share with me. To have a share with someone is to have fellowship with them in their destiny. In his death and his resurrection. In eternal life with the triune God. And when Peter gets this, he says in verses 9 and 10, at the dinner table, mind you. Then, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Wash all of me, Lord, at the dinner table. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath have no need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Jesus is saying, you need to be cleansed by me. You need to be cleansed fundamentally. That's what he means when he says those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet because their whole body are clean. You see, when we come to trust in Jesus, when we come to believe in Jesus, we are united to him. His righteousness, as Nick said earlier, becomes our righteousness, and we are clean. We are fundamentally cleansed in him. But we also need to be not just fundamentally cleansed by believing in him, but we need to be perpetually cleansed need only to wash their feet. You see, their feet still need to be washed. One of the most common questions I get about our worship service is, Kyle, why do we confess our sin every week, and why does a minister get up and tell us that we're forgiven? I'm already forgiven in Jesus. Can I just answer that question? Well, let me just use Jesus' words. Because while your body may be clean, your feet are dirty. That's why. Your feet are dirty. And you need to perpetually have them renewed. You see, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are united to Christ and we receive his righteousness and we are fundamentally cleansed in him. We have union with Christ, union with his death, union with his resurrection and eternal life. But we need ongoing communion with Christ. Relationship with him. 
and to be renewed in that. And in that process, we must continue to confess our sin so that we know that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can have our feet washed. You know, in the He Gets Us campaign that put out the ad with foot washing, there was an alternative kind of video that was put out. And in the alternative video, um, it showed a bunch of people, and then it would say, formally X, like formally this, formally that. And then at the end, it said that Jesus saves us. The point of the ad, which I understand, was trying to say that Jesus transforms us that his love transformed us. And his love does transform us. Jesus does save. I mean, it's said that the love of Jesus transforms us, but that's not really true, is it? Because remember, whose feet are washed here? Judas, verse 2. He wasn't transformed. It's not the love of God that transforms us. We're all loved by God. It's receiving the love of God. It's necessary that you receive the love of God. Herman Ritterboss said, it's not sin as such that makes us lost. It's a repudiation of grace. It's not all the dirt that makes us lost. It's our unwillingness to be cleansed by Jesus and let him love us. So what we need more than anything is we need to feel and know that it's necessary for him to love us. It's necessary for him to cleanse us. George Eliot, pseudonym, Wrote lots of famous novels like Middlemarch. She also had a collection of short stories. The, at the end of that collection of short stories, there's a little short story called Jane's Repentance. It's about a woman who is in a very, very, very awful situation. She married young to a man who abuses her physically, emotionally, in every way. And when he drinks, it escalates. And she finds herself actually fleeing the home one night with a friend and not knowing where to go. She says, is there anywhere to find hope and comfort? anywhere Elliot writes she was tired and she was sick she was tired and sick she thinks about her friend tells her to go to the minister but she says 
that she's tired and sick of that barren exhortation that she had heard from other ministers. Do right and keep a clear conscience, and God will reward you, and your troubles will be easier to bear. She wanted strength to do right, Elliot writes. She wanted something to rely on besides her own resolutions, for that was not the path behind her, for was not the path behind her all strewn with broken resolutions. How she could she trust in new ones? But she thought about this one minister, this new guy who came to town. And uh, she used to gather him with other people and kind of make fun of him because, quote, he was fond of great sinners. But that didn't seem so funny to her now. She began, Elliot writes, to find new meaning in those words. Would he perhaps understand her helplessness? And in her helplessness, she goes to the Reverend Tyron. And he looks at her with sympathy. And he says, I know. I've been there. And in all my need and hopelessness and desperation and suicidal ideation, Jesus came and he loved me. And he loves you. See, to accept a love like this is very difficult because it means that it, we have to accept our true condition. But when you already know what your true condition is, when you've already accepted that your desperation is your true condition, then this love is amazing. Not just my feet, Lord, but all of me, Peter exclaims at the dinner table. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that you, my God, would wash my feet? So will you let him wash yours? I pray that you do. Lord, I ask that you would give us the grace to receive your love. Amen.